Hello and welcome back to season two of the Smart Buildings Insider. I'm your host, Lewis Martin, and my focus here at Charlton Morris is leading a global talent solutions team that delivers bespoke solutions to the smart building community, collaborating with the most exciting technology startups, as well as some of the industry's key powerhouses across the globe. In today's episode, I speak with Dan Deal, Chief Executive Officer of AirCurity, on the current trends of pharmaceutical companies setting stringent carbon reduction goals. We deep dive into Dan's career, outline some of the major trends within life sciences, discuss sustainability, carbon reduction, ESG, and also Dan provides a fantastic case study around one of their clients creating healthier indoor environments in light of COVID and other airborne pathogens. It touches on pretty much everything that is trending right now, and it was a fantastic conversation. So without further ado, here it is. Good morning, Dan Deal. Hey, good morning. Thanks for having me. No, pleasure. Before we get into the topic, I think to give context, it'd be great to get a bit of background as to who AirQuity are and, and what your mission has been over the last, let's say, five, 10 years and moving forward. Uh, yeah, okay. I mean, AirQuity is actually a 22-year-old company, but um, the current you know, the current platform that we provide to the marketplace today is uh, really, really was kind of launched and started, I guess, in earnest in 2007, took, took some development and investment initially to get it uh, launched from 2000 to 2007. Uh, and the company actually had some uh, previous products. But, uh, you know, as you said, I've spent my <clears throat> career in, in the built environment and all in all facets, new construction, energy retrofit, um, uh, long stint in lighting and lighting efficiency. So uh, been, it's been been around and seen many sides of it. Um, and the air, air acuity, what attracted me to air acuity is really the idea uh, two two things that the the next wave of efficiency in the built environment and impro- massive improvement was really going to be around ventilation optimization, um, and the second thing was the unique um, you know technology and the nature of um, the platform that we provide today. Um, you know the impact it can have, uh, the the number, the fact that it addresses both new construction and uh, existing buildings. I think was really important to me. Um, and, uh, it was really exciting to, it's a longer story, but really exciting to be able to, uh, get after the most energy intensive buildings in the built environments, which tended to be, um, labs and critical, what we call critical environments. So, yep. uh, all of that really was exciting. Um, I joined the company at a very early stage, which was also exciting. And, um, over, you know, over the last five to seven years, I think more than anything, we've been, um, really kind of hitting our stride in terms of, um, you know, with further investment in the product and further evolution of our clients and, and, and getting, uh, getting a lot of traction uh, with, with proof, proof points from really good customers. So it's, so it's been a really uh, exciting and fun time, to be honest with you. We've almost never had more fun in, the, in, uh, in a job than uh, over the last couple of years. I can only imagine. Um, and before AeroCurity, you, you'd spent the majority of your career prior with larger organizations. Um, was it a big transition to move to a, a smaller business at that time? Well, yeah, it's funny. I actually have had, um, I actually did have a, a stint where I was an entrepreneur and I had a very small company for about eight years in the lighting, uh, energy efficiency lighting space. I came from Johnson Controls, which obviously is a global, you know, fortune, um, I think 200 at the time or uh, company and had a long stint there. And then I, I spent some time with another large company, Lutron Electronics, 
So I've actually seen both sides of it. I've seen large and very small entrepreneurial companies. And then um, I kind of jump in, you know, I, actually I did a, I did a peaks and valley. I went large, super small, uh, <laughs> you know, medium size, and then super small again. You've done um, it all. So, yeah, yeah. So it, it's um, that, which is, which is, that's fun. And so it changes things up a little bit. I, I would say um, uh, there's good things about both 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 companies. You know, in terms of learning early in my career, the structure of uh, Johnson and the, the training I got was uh, unbelievable. Um, and I worked at a at a location in a branch where it was a super fun group of people, and you know, had a great time there uh, for 11 years um, before I left to be an entrepreneur. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so and then and so you know, we've seen it all here too at. Uh, at Air Acuity, starting starting as a pretty small organization, and then kind of going through the growth we're we're uh, having now. So, um, so yeah, no, I, I don't think it's um, I don't I don't think it's necessarily a big change. I, I've been fortunate enough to have experience of both both of those, and um, and kind of um, you, you adapt and just mm-hmm. you know as long as you like what you're doing, you kind of adapt and move on. <laughs> no, I agree. Well, it, it's great to have you on, and and given what you're doing at Acuity and the types of clients that you are dealing with this particular topic, which is all around smart building and sustainability trends within, well, you mentioned critical facilities, but let's say life science or pharmaceutical companies, that there's not many better individuals to have here in terms of the insight that we're going to learn today. And I'm sure the audience will agree at the end of the podcast. So let's start here then. So naturally, you're seeing this day in, day out. Uh, And for those that don't know, uh, Charlton Morris has their own life science talent solutions business as well, which is equally exciting to get Dan's um, insight into. And, and maybe I can shed some insight into what I know as well. But let's start discussing the mega trends within life science. So to talk us through a couple of the big ones that you're seeing at the moment. Uh, well, the biggest one is life sciences is um, back in a big way in terms of uh, Obviously, um, being front and center in the world in terms of addressing, you know, um, health, wellness, and um, you know, the uh, future sustainable, uh, you know, sustainability of uh, of us. <laughs> um, so it's uh, I I worked in life sciences back in the uh, in the nineties when it was you know kind of um, uh, you know kind of booming at that time mm-hmm. as well. Um, so I had a lot of experience from 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 a long time ago. Um, I live outside of uh, Philadelphia, and so Philadelphia, New Jersey, um, Carter has always been a, a hotspot for life sciences and pharmaceuticals uh, industry, life sciences business. Um, and so, uh, ha- had some experience there. So, I think the you know one of the big trends is obviously it's it's a it's it's growing. The other the other so what does that mean? That's spawning a lot of need for um, new research space. Um, uh, you can, I'm sure you know the details in terms of, I've never personally seen more mm-hmm. research space being developed globally. Yep. This is not a North American, you know, um, uh, concern. It's a global concern. So you're seeing a lot of new life science space being developed. And then you couple that with, uh, kind of the, the, the changing, um, well, the requirements, the newer requirements and new, I would really call it earnest commitment to uh, get existing fil- uh, facilities to you know net zero and to decarbonize um, the you know the built environment and and I think life sciences in in many cases is leading that commitment and that that change which is awesome to see um, and it's coming from a very high level in their organizations to uh, to meet that commitment and both meet it with funding. Um, but also with, you know, um, 
an out, outward commitment to, you know, um, public commitment uh, to 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 drive towards that. So we're seeing them, you know, um, uh, really take that to, to heart, so to speak. It's not just, you know, it's not yep. uh, window dressing anymore. It's re- a real commitment to take action towards it. And I think that's that fundamentally they're, they're the two biggest changes I would see is a lot of increase in new research space being uh, developed and or, um, you know, in development. And then also kind of a real commitment to take the existing facilities and and, uh, and decarbonize them and move them towards net zero. So you know, both of those things are exciting. And I think um, good sign for, you know, for, for the built environment in terms of um, leading the leading the change, I think that's needed to happen. That's very interesting. Um, and would you say the catalyst for improvement when it comes to sustainability, carbon reduction, is that predominantly from the snowball effects of what the pandemic had? Or is that the pandemic plus the impact? Well, it's not happened yet, but the impact the Inflation Reduction Act may have as well. And individuals are now having to really take control and and being made to to call to action to make the decisions that's necessary yeah i mean um you know without i i I look without even even remotely being political i think what's what's incredibly um you know assuring for me personally working in this in this space is first of all efficiency just makes sense (laughs) yeah you know um you like like you know you know, first you, you, you know, we, we deliver incredible return on investments for clients who so are helping them reduce their operating costs. And then to do it in a way that helps decarbonize, I mean, that's addressing, you're getting, you're getting pressure, if you want to call it, from ESG commitments and from boards and investors. And, you know, you know if you say follow the money, it's, it's the pressure from the outside on these organizations to get real on this issue is, is coming. So it's coming from the top down. And as I said, it makes a ton of sense operationally to do it. And then if you look at the positive impact, you know, from from a what's happening in the world for energy uh, independence and, you know, the pressures to just reduce demand. Um, And as you make a move and you'll hear me say this a few times, but as you make a move towards a, a decarbonized built environment, efficiency first is the most common sense approach to that you want to reduce your base load demand before you think about other strategies whether it be the supply side of clean energy of solar and wind or you look at electric quote unquote electrifying decarbonizing buildings you are the investments you're going to have to make downstream to do that are going to be greatly reduced if you take an efficiency first approach so again to me uh, this is not rocket science it's super common sense you want to you want to make your buildings as efficient as possible, and 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 quite honestly, a lot of our projects take out real carbon footprint reduction, which is very different than doing carbon offsets and, yep. and carbon recs and stuff like that. So it's like real reduction of, let's say, as an example, natural gas, which is a huge issue in 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 Europe, as you know. Mm-hmm. So you know, real natural gas reduction in these highest energy intensity buildings is meaningful, and it's not. You know, I, I jokingly say this internally all the time, but like, you know, not all two-year paybacks are the same, right? 100000 <laughs> saving 50 and a million saving 500 aren't the same. Um, they might have the same simple payback, but one has a much, much better net present value and has much bigger impact. And so our, ours, you know, kind of are on the latter. They, they make a big, big impact into people's carbon commitments and they make in, and real energy reduction. So 
Um, to me, that's, you know, that, that is the ultimate um, benefit. And that's, I think your question really was kind of, where's this coming from? Yeah. And it's, it's a, it's a convergence of those, you know, those two mega trends, if you will, outside pressures and, and just real c- common sense approach to if we're ever going to do this, we got to start with an efficiency first mindset. And that's, uh, that's what we see driving our business today. So in terms of corporate, environmental, social, even corporate governance, ESG, um, some huge traction with ESG um, across the whole landscape of the world. But when you look at just real estate in general, do you think these pharma companies, critical facilities, they have more stringent measures to meet ESG commitments? Well, I, I well, I do. Um, I think there's there's probably let's say more pressure there than let's say higher education um, yep. as like a next big market for us. There are heavy research institutions, etc. But I would not ever say that those same pressures aren't there as well. They have endowments and boards and the same kind of high level um, concerns and commitments, and and in many cases they seem to be. Um, they, they hold those same ideals very highly in order to drive that. Um, you know, I, I would say that I see life sciences acting a little bit quicker with a little bit more urgency than I do maybe higher ed, but we, we have higher ed customers that have, when I say lead the charge today, um, you know, University of California, Irvine, you know, kind of created uh, this a smart labs program in 2007 that has now oh, wow. trained thousands mm-hmm. around the globe and has had in, insane impact in terms of what it meant to a growing campus uh, in Irvine and the the economics and the results are just undeniable. So I think it, this has a concept that's been around a while and uh, there are, you know, there's many others, University of Pennsylvania or Michigan State or, you know, there's there, we have 250 higher ed customers. So oh, wow. um, they're just they I think they just tend to be a little bit more systematic in their approach. Um, and that's probably due to funding, um, quite honestly, and just, you know, kind of how they go about uh, tackling this. Um, we, we are seeing more net zero K through 12 schools being built um, with, you know, higher stringent uh, requirements for indoor air quality. Um, and you're now seeing, I uh, just had a conversation with a partner in Australia and we're now seeing places like Australia and the UK, uh, I was telling you about that conversation yesterday I was having yep. in, in, in the UK with where even, even, uh, owner, I mean, uh, owner occupied commercial real estate, we've always done kind of really well, like so corporate headquarters or something, but developed, um, uh, commercial real estate is having higher, requirements for indoor air quality and net zero or decarbon decarbonized um, environments. And it's actually becoming a selling point to the potential tenants in those spaces. And so when you start to see that change, you know, where it becomes a requirement of the people looking at spaces and asking questions of, of, you know, what is the operating cost and, you know, what, how is this building being operated from a carbon perspective, carbon intensity perspective, et cetera. And, uh, and you also hear this a little bit more as we talk, but you're seeing, I call them carrots and sticks, but you're seeing really good energy uh, rebates out there in the market yeah. from utilities, but you're also seeing that combined with carbon penalties that are looming over people that don't have efficient buildings or aren't operating as efficiently as they can be. And when you combine those two things in a market, that's really going to supercharge a market, but it's also going to drive um, us in, in the direction that we obviously are trying to and need to get to. 
I, I can't agree more. And, and a good example of this is that, um, I mean, there's, there's a lot of really good certifications or accreditations for buildings out there at the moment. But Charlton Morris gave me the opportunity to set up a new office for the business. One of the key objectives I wanted, as that I am a talent solutions provider and leader team in the smart building space, was to find a smart building, uh, quotations, and we were fortunate enough to find a building that was certified by WideScore's product. And again, case in point, we're already starting to see that trend where the aesthetics of a building are no longer enough. Five years, five years ago, we started to see that trend, but we're now seeing that energy efficiency is the, the first step. Make your buildings efficient and then build on that with indoor air quality or different measures to make sure your building is more sustainable and, and safe, essentially. What's your thoughts on the movement towards electrified buildings? Because outside of just pharma itself, we're starting to see that become a bit, bit, a bit of a big trend now. So most of the customers that we're working with regarding uh, kind of electrifying their buildings, which really sometimes gets you know, misconstrued, it, it's really de- it's trying to decarbonize and electrification is one strategy to do that. Um, it's important to realize kind of as a former mechanical engineer and understanding buildings globally, you know, location is very, um, it's going to be a, a high bar in terms of can you electrify a building? Can you replace gas heat um, with electric heat? Or can you, can you replace gas boilers with electric boilers? In most cases, most customers right now are taking what I alluded to earlier is that efficiency first approach because that's going to have a big impact on if you first reduce the amount of reheat as an example yep. in your building, it's now going to be a much easier achievement to maybe potentially use electric reheat to, to satisfy that demand. If you reduce the demand uh, from the building and now look at like electric boilers as an example, Again, it's more achievable, but in many cases, electrification in some cases is going to use more electricity in a building than previously, right? So now you have to have considerations of what does the grid look like? What does my peak peak demand look like in my building? What's my electrical infrastructure? So electrification in buildings is not as, um, especially in existing buildings, obviously, it's a much bigger challenge. When you're designing new, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, I guess, a more achievable uh, concept yeah. uh, in, ter- in terms of, of that movement. Um, but And it also is not going to be a one-size-fits-all. Like there are places in the, in the world, it's going to be a much bigger challenge to, to, to use pure electricity to handle the heating um, and, you know, and the demands of the, of the building. So, it, so slightly complicated, but just in a broad brush sense, I think, you know, the way I always think about this and talk about it is first, you know, obviously efficiency first, whether it's a new construction design or existing building. Second is understand where you are. And then after you look at a a more efficient building, can electrifying the building handle the the new requirements? Mm -hmm. And then you have to say, okay, with that, the caveat saying, okay, have I thought through what is my... um, what is my uh, longer-term strategy in terms of does my does the, is the grid going to be acceptable? Am I going to look at microgrids? Am I going to um, you know look at clean energy supply? All those other kind of things that you start to think about on the path, what we call a path to net zero. And um, and I think you know we are working with customers you know all the time that are looking at all these measures. But uh, but it is you know it's I think fundamentally you have to understand that it's going to potentially be using more electricity. It's 
it's it's not it's going to be a negative ROI. You're gonna you're gonna make an investment to decarb, but you're gonna actually spend more energy. Um, but if it's clean energy, that's okay. So that's like a it's a concept that kind of <laughs> uh, messes with my mind as an efficiency guy. You know, like wait, I'm going to use more energy in this building, and yeah. and uh, but if it's clean energy and it's renewable, you know, like a, like your car, like an electric car, um, then it you know seemingly it's a, it's you know obviously it's a better thing, um, and certainly with all the uh, again, this conversation is going to take loops, but you know, with the energy independence that we talked about, what's going on around the world, to some, you know, from from a global perspective, I think it's very important to, um, again, to make as big of a move as we can in that regards. Um, for certainly places like Australia and the UK and the United States and, and others, um, and I think it's going to become a, a more common, commonly accepted design practice. I mean, they just quite, quite honestly, we're seeing a lot of projects come out uh, with with that uh, design. No, I agree. Do, do you think it's just the, the uphill battle with electrifying buildings is just going to be on the retrofit side because there are just so many buildings that would need that? Well, I think the retrofit is going to be harder. Um, yeah. You know, quite quite honestly, it's going to be much harder to to do that. You're, I mean, you know, when you start to talk about switching over to electric reheat, as an example, that gets pretty intrusive in buildings. Um, you know, you're removing natural gas, let's say, as a reheat source, and you're looking at electrifying reheat. What you'll see is probably more a move to the, the central infrastructure of electric chillers, electric boilers, um, you know, things that are things that are more easily, uh, honestly, to replace. And again, you're you know, if you're doing that with um, fossil fuel today and it's it's um, I don't say more efficient, but more efficient from a, you know, you know, uh, energy intensity usage, the um, so some of those simpler things are actually going to be done. We, we've looked at, um, you know, like 30, what I call, I call them carbon conservation measures. Uh, the energy industry always used to use ECMs, which is an energy mm-hmm. conservation measure. And now you're looking at CCMs, which is carbon conservation measures. <laughs> and so when you analyze, you know, 30 of these things, it is why we have been doing a lot more work because, uh, Airside ventilation optimization has a real ROI while delivering incredible, you know, carbon reduction. When you look at replacing a boiler with an electric boiler, it's going to require more energy. That, that boiler is going to be more expensive today. Hopefully, in the future, it won't. And and so it's a it's a bigger commitment for a customer to make that 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 step, right? And as we talked, you want to get more efficient before you do that anyway. So um, I think existing buildings is going to be the biggest challenge. I think newer buildings, you know, we're already seeing the designs come out with these requirements, and um, and that's but that that that's only what ten that's roughly five to seven ten uh, five to ten percent in any given year of buildings tr- turnover in the in the market. Um, okay, that's how much new construction relates. So the big yeah. opportunity, obviously, is to tackle the built environment for sure, the existing built environment. Yeah, definitely. Um, what would you say the results of that would be? So you've got, for example. Net zero, eliminating the the potential use of fossil fuels. Um, what else would you see? Well, it, it, the the journey, as I described it to you, is and let's just keep it simple for for this level. First, is to tackle the energy efficiency in all in all ways and respects because you just want to get the the base load as low as you possibly can. Um, the the next uh, step in that process, where they call you know, kind of as you move towards scope two. Is is going to be look is going to look at the um, you know the su- the supply 
um, clean energy supply and, you know, such things like we talked about before of like, you know, um, can I, can I buy uh, cleaner energy? Yeah. Uh, can I make cleaner energy? Can I, do I have the ability to, to do that? And as much as you can, you're trying to do that without just, you know, wrecks, you know what I mean? You want, you want real, real carbon reduction in the built environment. Um, and then the last part of that journey, which is not related to work I do, but it's the carbon intensity of the, um, of the materials themselves and kind of looking at the whole supply chain of the built environment. And obviously that's a big part to tackle. I mean, the, the statistics are roughly, I think 28% of all, uh, carbon emissions come from the built environment. Um, uh, I think it's probably like a global, um, and so it's, it's a, it's a big and meaningful piece, but obviously you're not looking at, you know, uh, there's a huge project, you know, there's the other big tackle of the other big part of, you know, decarbonizing our globe is really going to be about, um, you know, switching natural gas over to hydrogen. And then the other part is going to really be about direct air, uh, direct, um, direct, direct air carbon capture. So, you know, I think, you know, if I go up to the highest yep. level, it's really those three strategies, which are going to make a big impact. And, um, and transportation, or sorry, so I should say, so like if you're looking at like uh, the shipping and everything else, and again, converting that over to hydrogen and other things like that. So they're the big movements. And obviously we are attack, we are trying to tackle and do our part. And when you break down the 28% that buildings, you know, equate to, you know, labs in critical environments are five to seven times, sometimes 10 times as energy intensive on a oh, per wow. square foot basis. Mm -hmm. So you really, really want to focus, which is why it's so great and important that life science community is stepping up. It's really why you want to focus on that segment of the market and those buildings, because they are way more energy intensive, let's say, than a commercial office building. Um, uh, now, uh, longer story, we could talk about that maybe later on the commercial office side. But <laughs> yeah. So, um, so you say life science or critical facilities use far greater energy. Um, can you talk us through why that is and the benefit of the adopt the adoption of airflow optimization? Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a it's a great question and um, a really great point as well. Um, so so these critical what we call critical environments are typically single pass air facilities. So they bring in out one hundred percent outside air. They have to move it, heat it, and cool it, and then they exhaust it. And that single pass air, they do it at higher what's called air change rates. So they're turning over the air much more frequently in the space than, let's say, a commercial office or, or a K-12 as an example. So higher air change rates, 100% single pass through air, you are going to be – that's why I said that these are five to seven to ten times as energy intensive on a per square foot basis than those other facilities. And then it's also why you want to make sure, ensure – that you are providing the right amount of ventilation where and when needed, and you're not just overventilating that space. Um, because you might think, okay, I'm providing great safety or I'm providing great health, but you could be wildly overventilating that space and wasting mm -hmm. enormous amounts of energy. Uh, not to mention, you don't really get the data, a data-driven approach of really what's happening where uh, in your facility, what might be broken or what might be uh, wasting energy or what might be not ventilating properly when and where you need it. So. A smart building does that. It, it has intelligent ventilation, and it and what I always say is it optimizes both sides of that of of the scale, if you will. It it's you know maximizing energy efficiency, you know, period, and it's also providing you the healthiest, safest space by providing ventilation where and when you need it. And so, winning on both sides of that is such a common sense approach that it it, 
sometimes it amazes me that uh, that um, you know sometimes you're you're talking to somebody. It's like it's just it's obviously the best way. I mean, it's the way most things work in life. You want to try to optimize it if you can. You can't can't optimize what you don't measure. You know, you can't manage what you don't measure. So it starts with accurate measurement, um, and then it really starts with you know uh, uh, making that as efficient both both of those sides of the uh, equation as efficient as possible. Okay, that's interesting. Um, and a good follow on here is that you've had the opportunity to build so many fantastic relationships with different pharmaceutical companies, um, well, across the globe, essentially. Um, and anyone who's not sure, go, go check out the website. Um, can you give us a, an example um, of a case study and, and talk us through sort of the the, the building airflow optimization that was installed and, and the results that followed? Uh, sure. Um, I, I think, it, well, I think one of our case studies actually is actually in the process of getting improved. So um, let me, and I think it's like days away, but um, let me just say that. So we we work we're right now working with company X. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I, well, uh, I, I hate I hate when I read those, uh, so yeah. I'm, I'm hesitant to say that. But um, but Tom, in this case, I think uh, uh, legally uh, I better say that. Yeah, I think um, so. so we, we're working we're working with seven to seven to eight, uh, and probably soon ten of the top ten life sciences firms in one in one form or another right now. And let me just say that that like a case study recently that we completed. Um, was um, we actually were installed in a new construction project for this customer uh, four years ago. It was very successful and then um, in California. And then that led to a look uh, of existing facilities on the East Coast uh, in New England. And that, that, those was, that was across seven facilities, or six or seven, and uh, one of them was smaller. But um, we, we ended up retrofitting all those six facilities. And when you when you ask the question, like talk about impact, I mean, the impact of that is you're talking about return on investments of um, on average uh, two to two and a half years, um, significant utility rebate incentives. Remember that carrot and stick mm-hmm. approach we were talking yep. about um, real, um, you know, meaningful impact in terms of what their over carbon footprint reduction goal was as a company. And so we we uh, met a very large percentage of that. And it, it, again, analyzing all the different carbon conservation measures they could they could attack, this customer said, you know, by and far, ventilation optimization is going to be the first scope one strategy we're going to deploy because of the downstream benefit and because of the ROI. And then also it then set them up for the um, for the avoidance of future penalties, etc. The other the other thing that's really important, and I don't think from just a I think it's very important to mention this in addition is that when you do these existing building projects, you also are getting these facilities up to a really current understanding because you are you're you are addressing what's called deferred maintenance in the marketplace. So you're fixing old systems. You are recommissioning and rebalancing the airflow in these buildings. Um, many times customers will say we have X, Y, and Z. And it's operating this way, and you, you, we dig in, and we find out no, that's not exactly how it's it's not operating at all. Buildings are out of balance. There's old there's old deferred maintenance affecting that. So there's a really incredible side benefit to all this, and that's that's even before you get into installing a platform that has an ongoing, you know, uh, environmental health and safety or animal contr- animal animal care platform that allows people to get indoor air quality data. And, and also energy efficiency data ongoing. 
So the, 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 I think the, the total construct is one that's really powerful in terms of um, uh, working with these existing facilities and, and getting them um, you know, up to the, obviously not today's standards, but future standards. Um, and, and all doing that with a really, really good, strong return on investment that, you know, almost any company would, you know, uh, salivate towards in terms of, you know, 40% IRR, you know, yep. uh, project. So, <laughs> I mean, even when you're, you're discussing it, that it just, just sounds like a no brainer, but it just ultimately takes a little bit of time to get different clients on board. Right. It does, I mean, yeah, absolutely, no doubt. And what what is great about certain, you know, that the this community, I would say, if you want to talk about the life sciences community, yeah. this happens to be a pretty small community, even though it's a really big, you know, it's a big, it's a <laughs> yeah. big market. Mm-hmm. But it's in, it's crazy how small the world can be sometimes. And um, I think when you see really good case studies and you see customers out there talking about it, it has led to a a, a spark that you know lit a fire that is now. Every, you know, uh, we see more and more customers saying, Hey, I heard about what you did for, you know, and, and so it's getting easier, I would say, to, to get people to at least move. And then once you get a successful project for, as I mentioned earlier, like a University of California Irvine or Penn yep. or somebody, once they see the value and they understand it and they see the economics of it, it does become pretty compelling to just propagate through the rest of your portfolio. Um, one thing I'd like to talk about, at least for if there's life science, you know, customers on there or this market is we take mm-hmm. a very portfolio. We're not project oriented. We're portfolio oriented. So we look at our cut. We look at the end customer as we want to help them prioritize all their facilities across the globe. Um, we had a customer uh, that was talking to us about a project in France and, you know, versus maybe one in California or New England or, you know, I'll say Australia. Mm-hmm. So we're going to look at the rebates, the looming carbon penalties, the uh, rebates, utility incentives. We're going to look at the um, the you know the, the current electric rates, so, and we're going to analyze all those and really try to help that customer you know kind of understand and prioritize their facilities. And then they need to look at it through their lens to says, oh, well, that's a that's a facility that we're not really sure what we're going to do with in two years. So let's not focus on that right now. So it really comes with like, how are you going to? This is not a this is not a next year issue. This is a decade long transformation mm-hmm. that's going to occur. It's going to take capital. It's going to take planning. It's going to take has to be part of a larger strategy. So what we try to do is um, is really work with the energy uh, sustainability energy teams in those organizations, operational teams, and focus on the the best yielding uh, locations and the highest priority opportunities, and then kind of systematically work through that portfolio in the most obviously the most intelligent way for them and for for what's happening in the macro environment. So I, that's um, that's where we've had the best success, and that's you know what we're going to definitely keep keep on doing. Um, so it's it's you know it's not just you know um, you know site A or site B calling us up and saying hey I want you to look at it. We really try to try to work at the portfolio yeah. level. Yeah, no, that completely makes sense. Um, well, that, that's been super interesting. Uh, I mean, we've we've dug into a couple of rabbit holes there, and um, <laughs> I hope the audience um, has gained some insight because I definitely have. Um, so, if if you were to summarize what we've been speaking about, Dan, we, let's say that the first point we need to have, or life science are starting to get into that efficiency first mindset. Uh, that's basically the first step, right? 
Correct. Yeah. Yeah. From an, from a, from a decarbonization and, uh, you know, a, a, the addressing the E and ESG, <laughs> um, an efficiency <laughs> yeah. first approaches is, is the, it's going to have the best and the highest economic impact and it's going to yield the best ROI for uh, future decarbonized, um, efforts downstream. So that, that certainly is the first very important point and takeaway. The, the second, um, I think being, most buildings are existing. Um, so what are your thoughts there? How can we tackle that? Yeah, I think some people, you know, try, try to think about, okay, well, it's, you know, they, I, you don't want to apply this mindset to just a new building being built. That's as simple as that. So you have to look at this as what's my existing infrastructure look like. And if I'm putting up a new facility, uh, obviously I want my design team, my engineers, you know, architects, uh, obviously all thinking about a net zero project. But, uh, and, you know, in an optimized, not just ventilation optimized, but lighting and ventilation, smart, you know, smart building technology in that building. But it's really about saying, okay, what's my existing portfolio look like? Let me come through, let me work through a process, you know, not just with AirQ, but probably other engineers. There's a lot of other considerations just besides airflow optimization. Yep. But where, where, you know, where, uh, how should I, how should I have a strategy to tackle my existing portfolio? And and do it in a way that makes obviously it's obvious, good economic sense, right? You want to you want to focus on the best yielding uh, ECMs, CCMs, <laughs> uh, you know, energy efficiency measures and carbon uh, conservation measures. You want to focus on the combination of those two things that are going to have the the highest yielding impact, and that just creates this that creates the flywheel effect, right? That creates good momentum up above to financial and you know c-suite constituents that are looking at how these programs are, are rolling out mm-hmm. they need that everybody needs to see success and then that keeps the the momentum moving um and so i think it's just that that is um a, a great point you were making and i think it was a great great outcome of this conversation to to really um uh you know, focus on it from from that mindset and with that approach Agreed, and and I think the final one, which which perhaps was the 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 most intriguing for me, is that when you look at life science, pharmaceutical, or even critical facilities or organisations, they're potentially leading the way. If not, they are definitely leading the way, perhaps because of the stringent measures um, in certain aspects when it comes to the need of moving to net zero or improving indoor air quality or improving their energy efficiency and, and even just holistically making their buildings a smart building. Yeah. And I think I, I would applaud leadership and all those organizations, institutions, because it's being driven, like I said earlier, top down and it's, 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 they've, they've made, you know, commitments to the investment community. They've made commitments to their employees. Those commitments are written down. They're outward. They talk about them regularly on their board calls and in their reporting and it's um, uh, and when I hear some of the, the leaders uh, leadership in those organizations talk, the ESG and the you know the E and ESG is mm-hmm. is a big uh, concern and commitment on their part. So that's the way they're leading their organizations, and that's that's how change happens. It ha- it ha- it does have to include obviously uh, the finance and the leadership of these organizations to make real commitments and. Um, uh, and, and again, the great news is they get, if, if they're doing it in this approach, they really get the benefit because you get, you should get incredible return on investments. 
Um, and it, historically, uh, you know, those investments maybe have not been as high as other places that life sciences in particular could have uh, invested their money, right? Um, because they, they, they go for super, super high returns. Um, so I, I look at this as the blocking and tackling, you know, of, of operations and just really getting um, your, your business as efficient as it can be um, and, uh, and, and making that commitment. So to me, it's all about leadership and, and just really would support and applaud the leadership, um, to, to make those commitments, to keep them and to put, you know, to, um, put organizational, uh, um, you know, people and money behind mm -hmm. that to actually make that happen. So yeah, that, that, that's, that's why it's happening there for sure. Yeah, no, that's interesting. Well, before we get to the final segment, we've, we've dug deep. Couple of couple of points in there which were fairly granular and uh, tried to find a balance in terms of that ten thousand for overview. For those listening that might want to check out Acuity and, and learn a little bit more, or maybe um, follow you on LinkedIn. I mean, wh where where can you point them in the right direction? Yeah, I mean, I, uh, LinkedIn's great. Our website is is always you know we have a great marketing team and we have um, always producing new content. We do. Um, almost something every month in terms of case study or publication or thought leadership piece. Um, they can look at uh, independent, not just air acuity, but look at um, I2SL, which some people aren't familiar with, which is the International uh, Institute of Sustainable Laboratories. Um, and that's a that's a, an organization that also has a UK based kind of uh, chapter, a Canadian based chapter. And uh, um, uh, that, um, and they have, they have slightly different names, but I think you can get to them through the I2SL um, portal. Okay. Um, and so there's, there's other really good resources out there. I mentioned University of California, Irvine smart lab program. So if you research smart labs, you can really learn a lot about, um, what a smart labs program looks like and, and smart labs kind of also, you know, kind of to tangentially refers to like, you know, uh, vivariums and clean rooms and other, mm -hmm. you know, critical environment type of spaces. Um, so you can learn a ton on on uh, public sites like that. And obviously, we, we try to link all that stuff through our website as well, um, which is just, you know, airacuity.com. Um, so, yeah, so that's probably the best place I would point everybody towards. Okay, great stuff. Um, so this is a, um, a, a, a common ritual on the Smart Buildings Insider, but um, whenever we get a new guest, come on to the, uh, the podcast. The final question that we ask, because it's uh, – well, we've had some fantastic guests and some really good answers to this as well. Um, it just gives um, perhaps some um, young or, or maybe not even young individuals who are experienced and, and looking for some some insight, some good context as to what your thoughts are. So um, the question is, what's the best piece of advice you've been given during your career? Oh, wow. That's a deep question. Um, <laughs> um, well, I think uh, that's a great question. And I think just to be simple and short in terms of my answer to that, and I have been asked that, like I do a lot of talks to um, you know, students and stuff and uh, going back to college and whatnot. And um, I do I do get asked that question. I uh, have been asked it. Um, I think my answer is fairly consistent over the years. And um, I, you, you, everybody, you read, you have um, uh, mentors and advisors along the way, and you just learn so much from all of them. Um, and and I think that you know the best uh, piece of advice I would give it's it's probably is to be a, a, a lifelong learner um, and to be adaptable. You know the world the world changes, and sometimes it changes fast, and sometimes 
you know, what you think is going to happen or what customers are going to think is, let's say, common sense or what the right approach is might not, might not, might not be happening. So I think the two things that I've, I've uh, um, employed uh, probably more than anything is just being, being flexible and being willing to constantly learn and also, you know, from others and then also looking to learn as much as I can constantly um, about new subjects. Um, uh, and, and that, you know, to me, more than anything, that has helped me personally mm-hmm. move forward. But I also, I also look for, I'll tell you when I, when I hire <laughs> is an example, I, I um, I'm, I'm a, a kind of a, a sports guy, um, from, from my background, but also just, you know, today. And I, I always say, you know, hire the best athlete, you know, it's about someone who's hungry and that wants to learn and that's willing to learn. It's not necessarily someone who's got the best resume in the, in the past, you know, <laughs> um, I, I think that desire to, to dive in and to really, you know, consume and to, and to work hard at something is really what the most valuable asset that I find in both my employees, my team members. Um, and, and it's definitely what I would say if, if I have had any success, it's come from that for sure. That's a great point. So, so wrapping that up, it's, it's having that hunger and tenacity to, to learn and, and, and dive in. Yeah. Yeah. And to, and to make a difference, I, I, um, I, you know, it's not about, you know, for me personally, obviously everybody that wants to do well, but I think what I love about our business at AirCuity is that we, it's tangible. We make a real impact and we work with the best and best of the customers in the, in the world. Really, really smart people, people that are way smarter than us. And I never go to customers and talk to them about, here's what you should do. I, I say it in the, in the context of here is the best practices that we've seen from our best customers. And here's what they're doing. And here's how they're thinking about it. And I share that information. That's my job. It's not being prescriptive of, you know, we believe it should be done this way. It, it's just about, it's about sharing that information yep. in a community. And, um, and you know, I've, I've learned everything in this space from people that are way smarter than I am <laughs> um, <laughs> in regards to all this, really, it's just incredible. So, um, and I, I could start to rattle off all their names. Um, I, I won't, but um, I, I would love to. But the it's you know, there's just really great people, and just being willing to learn from them and listen is is a really great, um, I think, uh, recommendation, I guess, or advice if that's what you were asking for it or couching it as. Um, so it's really cool. That's a great question. Uh, it's an interesting one. I'd well, love to hear some of the other answers at some point. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, well, you'll you'll have to tune in on, on previous uh, I'm episodes. Gonna, I'm gonna, yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, there there there's some some very interesting ones, um, and uh, yeah, if you, um, I'd love to get your thoughts on that. But um, Dan, um, once again, thank you very much for uh, for joining me on the Smart Buildings Insider. I'm I'm sure I speak on behalf of the listeners, but it's it's been really interesting. All right, thank you. So that was my chat with Dan Deal, Chief Executive Officer of AirCuity. I'd like to thank Dan again for his time and the insight he provided on his background, trends within pharmaceutical buildings, his thoughts on ESG and net zero, and of course, that very interesting use case. I hope anyone who is interested in any of the points we discussed during the podcast gained some valuable insight along the way. For plenty more chats with industry leaders and innovators within the smart building space across the globe, subscribe to the podcast on your favorite streaming platform today. Thanks again for listening. I've been your host, Lewis Martin. Bye for now.